Well, as I mentioned in our prayer, uh, we are embarking upon a new series in this new year. And that new series is based on choices. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about making the choice to go. And so I'd like to look with you at Matthew 18, 16 through 20. I think that's Matthew 28, sorry. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we have this passage here, the Great Commission. It's, it's that all too familiar passage in the Bible telling us, go. And I don't know about you, but when, but when I read this passage, there's a tendency within me to be filled with things like fear, dread, guilt, and probably some shame. Why well, I would like to say that this passage inspires and encourages me. Mostly I just don't really feel equipped for this type of work, and I surely don't feel called to bear witness to Christ's name. That seems like really lofty work. Part of me just wants to say, really, God, you've you've got a use for, for this mess here. Like, I can't even figure out how to get out of bed in the morning without being a total crab. And the Great Commission just kind of feels like another thing to put on the should-do list, along with all the other things that I should have figured out by now, like how to use a pressure cooker without being terrified of the thing. And besides, you know, I look at this and think, well, this passage is really intended for missionaries. We should have studied this in October. Uh, It's for those who have made a choice to truly give up everything and move 10,000 miles from home and give every fiber of their being to following Jesus. And that surely isn't me. There's a few words in this passage, though, that offer a tad bit of comfort. First of all, there's some relief to see how human these guys are who have been following Jesus. You know, even before his death, Jesus had given them the exact GPS coordinates for where to meet him when he comes back again. And the first time he told them this is even before he died. Read here, uh, verse 16, then the disciples, the 11 disciples, yep, they're down a member, went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Wait a minute, he, he told them to go somewhere? Well, if we look back at Matthew 26, verse 32, Jesus specifically says there, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He had laid out the entire thing right before their very eyes. Jesus speaks these words 
right before Peter promises that even if all the other guys refuse to stick up for Jesus, he is not a coward, and he will not be leaving Jesus' side. Well, I mean, Jesus' rooster prediction of Pete's night in some not-so-shining armor moment comes true, so I'm not really sure why they didn't believe they wouldn't see him in Galilee. But just to reinforce the point, no worries, the angel makes sure to send out a second text message. If we take a peek at Matthew 28, verses 5 through 7, we see here that uh, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There will you will see him. Now I have told you. Yep, we can imagine ourselves kind of struggling with all of the rest of them to figure out this whole thing. I mean, for three days they've been sitting around trying to figure out what's next. What are we supposed to do now? He said he'd be here in Galilee, but I haven't really seen much sign of him. James and John, well, they, they checked at the tomb yesterday and lots of guards there. I don't think he's coming back. So what do we do now? We've just given up the last three years of our lives for a guy who seems to be long gone. If you hold on to the promises Jesus gave, he said he'd be back. We're just going to be patient. Give it one more day. But you have to imagine that thoughts of packing up their bags and heading for home are going to start to creep in. And then Jesus walks into their midst, and they fall on their knees, and they worship him. Talk about a complete 180. Notice these three words, though, in this passage. But some doubted. I love how Matthew gives us little glimpses of the humanity in the room right next to the divinity. There could be a part of us that wants to, Jesus here at this point to, to do a little debriefing session with those in the room, saying things like, I know this was really tough on us, guys. I'm sorry we had to go through all of this. Anybody want to talk about the events of the last few days? Maybe we can unpack some of this. Those aren't the words that Jesus gives, though. Instead, he makes it clear that God has given him all authority in heaven and on earth, and then he gives them the three-part command. Go, baptize, teach, and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. It's a pretty strong command to give to a room full of people who are probably low on sleep, then through the ringer, confused as ever, probably filled with quite a bit of adrenaline. And they may have doubted all of this just by how bizarre the entire experience was. But then again, Jesus was always asking them to do bizarre things that never really made sense to human reasoning and were beyond where anyone following him felt equipped. Beyond human reasoning, there are a lot of things that are beyond human reasoning. My husband and youngest son and I just got back from a trip to Utah uh, to visit our oldest son, Drew. And one of my favorite parts of our trip was the people that we met along the way. 
Gary actually suggested that we should write a blog, the people you meet at the resort hot tub. There were just so many interesting people. And one of the couples that we met, uh, they were from Texas. And so they had shared with us, they had come to Utah to cross-country ski. First of all, I never understand people leaving warm temperatures to come to cold ones. But anyway, we could save that for another day. But anyway, as we chatted, this couple shared how they had moved a few years ago from Dallas, Texas, down to the border in McAllen, Texas. And the reason they moved was that so they could regularly cross the border into Mexico and minister to refugees crossing the border. And we learned a lot from them. We learned about how thousands of people are crossing the border every day, some of them legally, some of them not, how what you hear on the news isn't always maybe the full truth, but mostly how God is using ordinary people for kingdom purposes in places that would make most of us cringe, probably turn around and run. But you know, I think about that and I think, well, no worries, nothing like that will happen in my simple life or your simple life, right? We're just ordinary people doing everyday, not all that important stuff. I mean, how do we live out the Great Commission in our world of pickup trucks on dirt roads? Well, actually, I, I do think this is where the Great Commission is happening. And to be honest and to be frank with you, if you put the right spectacles on, I think you will soon find that the Great Commission is here among us. Divinity mixed with our humanity as well. We saw it as we celebrated God's faithfulness this morning. And I know it because it's been happening here with things that are shared with me. We're planning to have a volunteer appreciation dinner here next month. And I've seen the invitation list has almost 200 names of volunteers from this past year. You know, you make choices every single day. Choices to be still before the Lord and hear his voice speaking to you. I see it in prayers written on postcards and sent out. I see encouraging letters sent in the mail. When you sit with a kid at school or you volunteer on a Sunday night at youth group or on a Sunday morning in our kids' ministry, I see it in the offerings you lay before the Lord and the trees that you cut down to bless a brother. These are the kinds of things that I believe make up the Great Commission. The ways that you serve in your everyday life makes an impact. The businesses that you run and that you are a part of, they matter. The Christmas party you had for your employees last month, the words that you spoke to them and the bonus that you gave to them, that matters. You have a great commission purpose in where you work and how those places are run. It's more than just the bottom line of dollars and cents. It's how you treat those that work for you and those that walk in the door to purchase from you. That matters. You're not just a business owner. You provide for families. You care about how people are treated. 
You are artists in your work, and you're making artists within those who work for you. A while back, I was reading about some of the success behind the Disney Corporation. Now, I'm just going to make a quick disclaimer here. I am not in love with everything that Disney does. But there is a business practice that they incorporate that could be a helpful illustration here this morning. One thing we could probably give Disney kudos for is that they intentionally create a culture that results in unparalleled magical experiences for their guests. No detail is overlooked. Even their terminology is very intentional. You are not a customer. You are a guest. They don't have employees. They have cast members who each play a distinct role within their park. Disney is intentional about hiring the right employees who will fit their culture, training them how to interact with that culture, and then deploying them to further that culture. Gary has some relatives who have worked for Disney, and they say that when someone asks where a ride is located, they never point with one finger because that could be offensive to certain cultures. Instead, they use two fingers to point. So it's Sir Space Mountain is further down this path, and then take a left right after It's a Small World. It's kind of like uh, the lower elementary teacher I spoke with once, who is acclaimed for her amazing class management skills. And I said to her, so what's your secret? And she blushed a little bit, and she pushed off the compliment. But finally she said to me, I don't expect anything out of my students that I haven't taught them how to do. I just talked to her a couple days ago again, and she said, yep, now it's going to be how to put on winter clothes, how to hang them up when they're done, how to put them in their locker. If I don't teach it, then I don't expect they would know how to do it. Disney doesn't open the gates to its theme parks each morning and just hope for the best. Every cast member has a mission to fulfill and has been intentionally and thoroughly trained in how to fulfill that mission. The same for this teacher. She sets up the groundwork early in the school year, and then she gets to reap the benefits all year long. These are people who are completely intentional in all that they do. And there's a lot that can be gleaned from these mottos when it comes to the Great Commission. Jesus makes it quite clear that the mission of every church is to make disciples. So that involves bringing people to Christ. We would call that evangelism. Nurturing them in their relationship with Christ. Discipleship. And then deploying them to minister for Christ. Ministry. All Christians, one mission. But we all have a different role in accomplishing that mission. At the Disney parks, the cast members have the same mission of giving guests a magical experience. Some keep everything clean. Some sell food or merchandise. Some perform. Some assist with the rides. But all cast members perform their function to the best of their ability to accomplish the same mission. The genius of Disney is that they know how to create a really good story. 
One great example comes from their use of the 1991 film, Beauty and the Beast. Everyone remembers the famous catchphrase song sung by Lemire and the rest of the kitchen. Be our guest. Disney still uses that phrase today to teach cast members how visitors to the parks should be treated. They are guests. They are not customers. A guest is someone that you welcome in to be treated with all of the hospitality you can muster. A customer is someone that you want to purchase something from you so that you can increase your profit margin. A guest is a friend to be respected. A customer is a thing to be used. And those two viewpoints, they are light years apart, and they result in a very different attitude towards those who come to your place of business. It's also important to view those that come here into church they are guests. Maybe, maybe we would even go a step further to be welcomed with intentional hospitality as family. I mean, what if we in our vision here, we prayed and poured over who God is calling us to be, and we decided, you know, we want to be the friendliest, most welcoming church around. If we grabbed onto Disney's Be Our Guest idea and we ran with it, you know, you have the opportunity right now to host a, a meet, eat, and greet at your home. What does that entail? Well, it's just making a simple meal, opening your home to a few guests and getting to hear their stories. I love it when a visitor here can hardly get five feet inside the door without ten people wanting to welcome them. I mean, think about that. It costs us nothing just intentionality. I have an uncle. His name is Jim, and, and uh, he regularly embarrasses my quiet, conservative aunt. As she likes to say, Jim never considers anyone a stranger, but rather he coins the phrase, they're just a friend I haven't met yet. My hope in this new year is to be more bold and brave, like Uncle Jim. You know, great things, they don't happen by accident. When we are intentional with prayer and with planning, then the DNA of the church will move toward the environment God helps us to envision. There may be days when you're not all that overjoyed about the cast member God has asked you to be, because it can be a little bit scary in this new year, God is going to give us choices, choices to try new things, to let go of phrases like, well, that's just how we've always done it. God continually calls each of us to new places and to new spaces. And I pray that we as a church will continue to do things that we are passionate about. I think of one of our passions to form and shape young people and young lives here at Rehoboth. I know that's a passion here. It is so evident. And it's our job to figure out how to live out our lives as Christ cast members in this great commission. I heard someone say recently that everyone should have a younger person that they are mentoring. 
Andy Stanley once said, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone that you raise. You have a choice today, a choice to help make disciples, to be a part of the great commission Jesus calls us to. That's a high and holy calling. I encourage you to pray about the role that God is calling you in. Join a life group today. God's been nudging you to start a life group with friends. Start a life group with friends. You know, we just watched this all-new church Bible study. Make that a part of your rhythm. Join the class that Bob and Rachel are graciously agreeing to teach. If your finances are stressing you out, I promise you will not regret that decision. Join them for financial peace. I mean, doesn't that sound lovely? Financial peace. Christ has promised he will be with us always to the very end of the age. His Holy Spirit resides in you. Make the choice today to invite him in as your special guest and ask him, Lord, what adventure do we get to embark upon today? He may take you on the most amazing adventure of your life if you would just say to him, be my guest. Would you please pray with me? Lord, just as the disciples must have trembled in the calling you gave them, Lord, and gave up their very lives, as Josh reminded us, Lord, for that calling. God, we tremble before you. We're so humbled that you would use us as sons and daughters, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would cast us where you would have us be, Lord, that we would be cast members in your kingdom, partners in the gospel here together, Lord. We thank you that we can spur one another on, that we can love one another and encourage one another. We just pray that you would use us for your honor and for your most holy glory. In your name, amen.